Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Big Footy Bombers podcast for season 2021. I am once again your host, Bonser34, and we are joined this evening for the second time this year by the prosecutor. How are you this evening? Good, mate. Becoming a podcast regular. You are. I think you and Jade at the moment are leading the way with two each, but we'll see who takes the lead next week. Our other guest this evening is somebody who's stopping in for the first time, and I believe he likes to be referred to as the power behind the board. He's one of our moderators, the Grizz. How are you this evening? I'm doing all right. I, I can guarantee that's not a self-given nickname, but I'll take it. Well, I have been trying to get moderators on this podcast for the four episodes we've had, and, and you're the first one to step up. So I'm hoping by calling you the power behind the board that, that Law or somebody else will rush in next week to show that they're the true power of the Essendon board. I wouldn't argue with that if one of those guys jumped in and took that mantle, but all good. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, so we will jump straight into last night's game. Thanks to to you, Grizz, for reminding me it was last night because it took me a few a few seconds before to remember when it was. We, of course, belted North Melbourne. I'll start with you, Pross. How do you think we went? Were you happy? I don't think it was a four-quarter effort, personally. I thought it was three quarters, but 72-point win, I can't really find too much to be upset about. You know what? I think for us in our present situation, I think it was the perfect win. I mean, sure, you can point to the fact it wasn't a four-quarter performance, but the fact that we did trail off a little bit in the third and then managed to pull it back together and finish the game off strongly, I reckon I was more pleasing than if it was a very soft four-quarter win. Yeah, well, and that's that's a fair point. I mean, if we'd run over them, and I mean, I thought about halfway through the third, you know, we were going to scrape to a six-goal win and, and do a classic Essendon, but Grizz, we actually did kick on again that last quarter. They got, I think they got... Within about six and a half, I think the 39 points early in that last, and then, and then we ended up kicking the last five or six of the game. So, so that was definitely a pleasing aspect. The third quarter sort of sticks out as a sore thumb. If you look at the stats, they beat us in contested possession by 12, uncontested possession by 12, uh, marks by nine, tackles by two, and we just couldn't intercept the ball back. So outside of that quarter, we dominated the game. But yeah, it was interesting. I think they came out a bit flat after half time. We kicked those two quick goals, but then we just couldn't get the game on our terms. But uh, like Prost said, it was a pretty overwhelming performance for the rest of the game. And I think when you're playing a side like North Melbourne, you just want to see your, your process stand up. And you can sort of see for most of the game what we're trying to do. We were swarming the contest keeping some sort of clearance integrity and um, really moving the ball forward by hand. And what I really liked was uh, being able to hit up a lead up forward when we were going well. When we weren't, we sort of just reverted back to good old Essington and bombing it long to tip his head or something. It was a good win, but definitely nervous at the start of like halfway through that third quarter when they got to 39 points, like you said, and shades of Hawthorne in round one were, were flooding back to me and I was getting worried. But uh, alas, I think Goldstein as well going down right at the end of that third quarter took some wind out of their sails. Yeah, I think Goldie going down certainly uh, certainly was helpful to us, although he did come back on. I will be honest, I actually, uh, I nearly brought him in for my fantasy team this week. I, I ended up not doing that, but the week before I had brought Rowan Marshall in. So I was thinking to myself at the time, geez, if I'd brought Goldie in and he's gone down with an ankle the week, after Marshall's gone down after a half, I would have been absolutely filthy. <laughs> yes. But enough of my uh, fantasy side. I think what we saw yesterday, and, and you mentioned the hit-up lead, lead up forward, so we'll stay with you just for the moment, Grizz, is is a game from, from Peter Wright, from Harry Jones, you know, even Kyle Langford on the lead yesterday. Our forwards actually had the ball put out in front, and it makes a huge difference to see them coming out and actually instead of having to stop and prop and wait for the ball, just to be able to take it in stride. 
Yeah, I think you saw a lot more forward handball, which, you know, when you're watching a game, when you're handballing backwards and around in circles, your forwards are waiting back to, if I have someone, you know, shoulders forward to the 50 to lead at, but I think we were far more effective and cleaner getting the ball out of the contest early and, and streaming forward. And North Melbourne, like we know what North Melbourne are. They're a contested possession side and, and they're good at winning the ball, but their spread wasn't very good for most of the game. And so the forwards had plenty of space through the 6-6-6 and the the way the, the game was set up from the centre. But, um, yeah, we were able to move it forward pretty quick down the middle. And, yeah, it's a hard to be a defender. Playing junior football as a defender, it's really hard when the ball's just streaming through the midfield like it was at times with McGrath and Merritt. And it, it was good to see the forwards not leading into each other's space. I find that sometimes we're bombing it onto Tipper's head or we're bombing it to hook a two or three on one because our forwards aren't separating. But some really good forward craft by Harry Jones. I thought that was one of his better games in terms of his leading patterns. And it helps when you've got someone like Waterman and they can belt it from 70 out and get it just about to the goal line, which helps as well. But really good game by forwards. And Peter Wright was a bit of a revelation the past month, I think. The really good, cheap pickup and provides a lot. And I didn't know this about Peter Wright before the season, but, man, he can kick the air out of a footy. Like, those couple of set shots on the right forward flank were absolutely magnificent. And so, really good pickup by him. And, yeah, I think Chook, even though he kicked a couple of goals, had some moments he'd regret, but the rest of the forwards did real well at leading patterns and keeping out of each other's way. Yeah, so Pross, I'll switch to you and we'll keep on Peter Wright. There was some conjecture on the board early in this season that maybe he wasn't the player we were after, but I mean, I said at the time on the board, I'm going to toot my own horn here, but I certainly wasn't the only one, that we'd seen him as a number one ruck because obviously Draper had gone down, and that clearly wasn't his role. Now he's playing that second ruck forward role. He He's absolutely the cheap pickup that we thought we were going to get that could turn out to you know kick his two or three a game. I mean, I think Ethan's mentioned it about a thousand times that he averages a goal a game. Yeah, he's um he's been fantastic down there the last few weeks. Uh, he's done the reverse Danny Laley. Um, he used to you know play like Tarzan, you know play like Jane and look like Tarzan, but now he's um he's all Tarzan. He's been fantastic. He's contesting it very well. He's marking look so more effective now that he's actually deep forward. And I mean, as Grizz said, he's kicking the hell out of the lever and he's been fantastic for us. So he is hoping that it's just a sign of things to come for him in a long, distinguished SN career. And the other one yesterday that I thought was good, and we have sort of mentioned, I mean, Goldstein did go down. But I thought Andrew Phillips, again, competed well. I mean, Goldstein's not the the player he was, but he's no slouch. And Tom Campbell is, is also... He's, I mean, he's probably a VFL quality ruckman. So again, not the best, but he's still no slouch at AFL level. But I thought Phillips competed well and probably won that duel, which obviously gave us first crack at the ball in the middle more often than not. Yeah, I think it was fantastic. And I think we have to look at it with a little bit of a realistic glasses here and that here on in, he's probably our third Ruckman ideally behind Draper and Brian. And I mean, if this is the level of service he's going to provide when he comes into the team, then those two boys are going to be all the better for it. And, you know, Phillips is going to have a spot on that list for a few years yet to come. And just on Phillips, sorry, it's interesting because Hitouts as a stat really are somewhat meaningless in volume. It's hitouts to advantage which are important. And I think what Phillips does well is he may not win the tap out clean, but what he does is he he makes it difficult for the opposition ruckman to tap it down his midfielder's throat. So we saw a couple of times where Goldstein clearly had the run, but he wasn't able to sort of uh, hit it to a, a 
player he wanted to because Phillips was just putting too much body pressure on him and allowed our midfielders to get into the game. And he did the same thing against Grundy last year in that much-talked-about, much-fabled game against Collingwood where he just put enough body pressure on him, put enough pressure on him in the hit-outs that Grundy couldn't control the contest. And around the ground, you know he'll clumsily fall on someone, which is always great to see. So he's a good cheap pickup If you can get someone like Draper in to get those hit-outs to advantage and then add all that other stuff as well, it's great. But in the meantime, he's your perfect, like um, Pross said, he's a perfect third ruckman for your list really and um peter wright is sort of the perfect fourth ruckman and what i like about peter is he knows he you know you can tell he's not a key number one forward but at the moment with jones and hooker he's basically he gets a third defender and then that's when he can start sort of imposing himself on the game a bit better so we've got a good mix at the moment especially through the ruck when draper comes back and brian's looking good in the vfl yeah, and Wright did kick his three goals yesterday, and he, he should have probably had four if he hadn't gone off. One thing I did laugh about, which gave me a, a moment of pleasure yesterday, was just how quickly Tipper managed to get his hands on the football when, when Wright was heading to the bench. Everyone else was sort of making sure Peter Wright's okay, and Tipper's standing there with the footy going, all right, I'll take the kick. It's my shot now, boys. I'm close this guy. It's he was having a pretty bleak day individually up to that point, so like a good small forward. He sensed the opportunity just to add a little bit of uh, mayo onto that scoreboard for him. Yeah, you, you say he had a bleak day, and, and, I, and I only mentioned this because I was actually sitting next to my father and he said the exact same thing as you. He'd still kicked two goals too. I mean, he still had four shots on the board. It was a bleak day, but <laughs> as bleak days go, I think most, most AFL players would take it. He snagged three, actually. So that's a, a very good day. Yeah, he had. Yeah, sorry, he had two up, two up until he stole the uh, stole the ball from Wright's kick. <laughs> two legitimates. Yeah. Slot his third. It's interesting with Tippin. He's not getting a lot of talk about all Australian sort of worthy seasons, but he's the only player in the competition that's top 10 in goals and top 10 for tackle inside 50s. So if you think about your metric that you want for your small forward, he's top 10 in both of those. And he's the only small forward inside the top 10 for goals. So... He's having a, you know, he's sort of flown under the radar because the team's not going great guns. But, uh, oh, well, we are in comparison to expectations. But in terms of his individual season, he's doing very, very well at the moment. And I don't know why he's not being talked about more as an All-Australian contender at this stage. Yeah, yeah certainly. I think um, with Toby Green going down with his injury as well, I think he's um, he's pretty much a shoe in at this point if you were to do the team today. So, I mean, there's uh, there's some good competition coming through. In particular, you've got Pickett, who's going to benefit from um, yeah. being in a strong team with Melbourne. And Toby Green, obviously, should be back sometime soon. But um, he's laid the foundation for you know a breakthrough All-Australian season. Yeah, he absolutely has. And while we're talking about players that may very well have their first All-Australian season, I'm going to touch on him again, and we touch on him every week. But Darcy Parrish yesterday, he led the way with 36 disposals. He had the most marks on the ground with 12. He laid the most tackles on the ground with four. He had the most metres gained for Essendon. He had the most score involvements. He had the most centre clearances. Most marks. yeah. How good is this guy, really? I mean, Grizz, I've probably spoken to Pross before, so we'll go to him second. So we'll go with you first, Grizz. But did you see this coming? I mean, we all knew that as a midfielder, he was being held back by being played on the half-forward flank. And admittedly, not as much as someone our board would have you think, as Ant has <laughs> pointed out multiple times. Yeah. But he still did play forward. Did you ever think that this sort of performance would come if we just played in pure mid? I had wondered, he was a guy, I used to live around where he played his junior football and I don't live there anymore, but he was an absolute gun at junior level. He And what he's doing now at AFL level is a lot of what he was doing as a junior. He was a great accumulator, but what I think he's added probably in the last 12 months 
which has made him go another level is his ability to hurt you with his possessions. I think when he was playing in midfield previously, he was getting a lot of sort of cheapy handballs and just bombing it forward indiscriminately. But he's so much more attacking with his disposals at the moment. He's accumulating, like you said, he's leading basic goals and statistics. But I think spending a bit more time forward has meant he's been able to become a bit more effective and a bit more attacking with his, with how he uses the footy. And his hands around the clearance are exceptional. I, I, to answer your question, did I think he, he was this level of midfielder? Oh, look, probably. I think he was something like this. He's in a rich vein of form at the moment. You know, he had 40-plus on Anzac Day and 30, 30 last week, 39 or 37 or whatever it is yesterday. I'm really pleased to see Darcy play well. Probably doesn't help us that it's his contract year, so he's adding to his pocket every week. But, yeah, I probably didn't see this coming as consistently as he's done it this year, but he's certainly shown the flashes. But I'm just excited that he's starting to be a lot more attacking and brutal and punishing the opposition when he gets the footy as opposed to just sort of racking them up like a Tom Mitchell. I recall in the year that we drafted him, there was a few comparisons going around in 2016 to him being like a young Ben Cousins. And certainly over the last, definitely this preseason, he's built up that running capacity that you can really sort of see that comparison now. Yeah. And it's it's fantastic to see. Like, I mean, there was a post um, on the board a couple of weeks ago saying he's the best player we've had since Job which I think might be a bit of a stretch, but nonetheless, <laughs> just even sort of treating that as a serious comment eight weeks ago is just, it's astounding how far he's come so quickly. And he is hoping that he can just continue to follow this through because I'll tell you what, he's a smoky for the Brownlow this year, the way he's going. You'd think he'd poll in each of our wins. Like if you look at our wins, um, he would have, he'd be a two or three vote getter in each of them. So... Um, he dominated St Kilda, won the Anzac Day medal, was a gun yesterday. You, you'd think he'd have eight or nine votes just out of those games, so he'd be right up there. You're probably right there, Prof. Listening to the AFL Exchange podcast a couple of hours ago, they were saying that the Brownlow predictor will come out tomorrow. Yep. And uh, they've got Darcy Parrish, I think, in fourth uh, with 14 votes to this stage. So he's going to be right up there, especially if he can continue this through with a... Um, very generous fixture on the way home with the club only leaving Victoria once after this week. It'd be interesting to see what happens when Shield gets back. I suppose I'd ask you guys that question. When Shield gets back next year and we get Caldwell towards the end of this year, what does that do with our midfield midfield rotation? Because five doesn't go into three. Um, and you'd think we'd probably add to our midfield stocks, you know, either over the summer or, you know, mid-season draft next week. I mean, what do you guys think is our best midfield rotation? Because I'm not sure at the moment. Do you feel like you should throw Shield up as potential trade bait if the right offer were to come around for him? It's a big contract to move. What was it, a six-year deal, was it, Bonds, that he signed when he came? It was a big deal. Um, oh, oh, yeah, I think it was six years. Yeah, so that's a lot of money, and he wouldn't be cheap. He'd be seven, eight hundred k. That's a big. That's almost a Trelaw type deal to move, and we know how that's worked out for Collingwood. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting. He, he'll be twenty eight, twenty nine at the end of next year with two years left on your deal. That's if you're going to move him. I imagine that's when you move him. When you know a contending team wants to take him on and take on a part of his salary to top off for a flag. But I see, I see the logic there, but I'm not sure what team would take him with the years left on his contract coming off a major knee surgery and the amount of money they owed him, you know, maybe at the end of next year when he's only got one or two years left on his contract, but I think it'd be tough to do it this year. Potentially Port Adelaide might be the option. I mean, they've been rumoured to be very heavily interested in Zach Merritt and with the likes of, say, Travis Boak and Robbie Gray nearing the end, he could be a player that could plausibly fit in there. 
whether he's the right type necessarily is another matter, but I, I feel like there could be some options there for a contending team to definitely draft him in for a few years. Yeah, so I just looked at, at Law's contract thread and shout out to her for keeping it updated for us. He is contracted to the end of 2024. Yep. Uh, now, I, I'm i not sure where he fits. Look, I don't know where he fits in the rotations. I, I think that we can all assume that when he comes back, he will fit into the midfield somewhere. I'm honestly not sure where he does, though. It's a tough one. The other question I have is, is say, for example, at the moment, that McGrath, Merritt or Parrish goes down. We don't really have another midfielder ready to step in. So yeah. it's all well and good to trade him away. But, geez, having him in there at the moment would give us incredible midfield depth. So, yeah. I mean, I suppose you could argue the same for Caldwell. But if we have both of them, if somebody goes down, then we're still got plenty of AFL quality coverage in there. Whereas if you get rid of Shiel, Caldwell with his injury history, it's then starting to look a little bit light on. Just my opinion. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be moving Shiel. I think you see what Trelaw's doing for Western Bulldogs this year. Like You don't move a player that quality on really unless you're getting the best deal you can out of it. But I think, like you said, Bonds, our midfield depth isn't deep enough to to go get rid of someone like Dylan Shield. And the reality is the way the game's played, the amount of numbers around the football, even if you're nominally named as a half forward or a wingman, you've got five or six guys at the contest anyway. And then you have guys on the bench on rotations. I imagine there'll be a truck's a smart guy. Carousel is a smart guy. You know, all the coaching staff, really good, clever football brains. They'll figure out a way to fit them all in. But it's just an interesting conundrum because I think most football SM fans would have, at the start of this year, would have gone, yep, Shield, Merritt, McGrath, starting midfield. But the way Parrish is going, you can't you can't knock him off that first rotation. He's just absolutely slicing them up at the moment. And Caldwell's the same. It'll be interesting. But I think that's why you, you, you play Parrish forward and you play McGrath for half back and you play Merritt off, off the wing. So when you have that class of midfielders, you can move them around and use their skills in other areas so they're all getting game time. But like I said, you've got enough guys around the football in general play. Probably won't matter where they're named, but it's just an interesting sort of thought now. Who goes to the centre clearances and who's sort of the nominally first-choice midfielder, which I'm sure there's plenty of egos that would want to be known as first-choice midfielders. But, yeah, it's just an interesting question, I thought. Yeah, it is. And I suppose the obvious answer is, is McGrath probably goes to the half-back line or out to a wing. But I, I still think he probably does his best work in the middle. But I'll just touch one last point on yesterday's game, and it, it's something that's been driving me absolutely nuts watching. When we defend a kick-in, now, I understand the concept of we want to give up that that short kick into the pocket because then you've locked them into one side. It makes it harder for them to get out. There's no quick transition and all that. But has either of you noticed, and I'll, and I'll go with you first, Pross, have they, either of you noticed that we tend to give up that kick deep into a pocket about 40 metres out, 45 metres out? Not Most sides do it 20. We seem to be giving it up a lot deeper, which then, of course, means the next kick, if it's a dump kick up the line, is actually ending up in their forward half. Whereas if we actually shorten that kick in and only give them that 20, then obviously the dump kick up the line is still in our attacking half. It's something that's driving me nuts because I think it's basic football 101 to not let that 40 metre kick in happen every single time. Am I nuts, Pross? Have you noticed this does it? frustrate you as much as it frustrates me? I mean, the answer's probably going to be no, but I'll ask anyway. Oh, you're nuts, but not on this. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Like, uh, we do seem to allow that kick a little bit deeper. Now, I think it's a little bit horses for courses. So on the weekend, um, North Melbourne are really dependent on Jack Siegel to take those kickings. And if we're being honest, 
Jack Zeeble isn't exactly um, a Daniel Rich sort of uh, operator with his kicking skills. So I'm happy to allow that because, I mean, any sort of distance um, is requiring Jack Zeeble to sort of nail that kick. And I think there's more chance that he'd stuff it up than perhaps a standard um, AFL defender. But um, holistically, definitely it does frustrate me. I think it's something that we really could uh, – work on condensing a little bit more to that sort of 20 meter range that you mentioned. Grizz, is that something you've noticed? And I'll also just get you to give us your final thoughts on North Melbourne. I mean, I thought they were pretty average. And to be honest, until I saw them in person yesterday, I, I didn't think they were as bad as what as what had been made out with the priority picks. I'm still not convinced they need one or should get one, but they were pretty ordinary yesterday. Yeah, so in regards to the kick-in, I'm actually finding that a lot of teams are allowing that 40-metre kick. I don't, I'm don't. i with you. I don't understand why. If you're going to lock a team in, you want to lock them in as deep as you can. I, I think with the rule with the kick-in where you can actually leave the centre square without kicking it to yourself and the guy on the man the marks further, I think it's five or ten metres further back than normal means that it, it's not as easy to pin them in that corner. They do have, they can run almost 30 metres out from their defensive goal line before they kick it anyway. So I, I'm maybe the thinking was you can either allow them to kick to the flank and then we have a chair to, up, um, to knock it off or intercept, or you can let them run to 30 and then kick it 75 metres out anyway. So it's, I, I don't know what the answer is, but it does drive me nuts as someone that looks at the zone and think, oh, I thought yesterday we were far too, especially not for the whole game, but in the third quarter, one of the things I think we failed to do was put any pressure on the person with the ball. Um, we didn't get to the man. We didn't man the mark quick enough or slow to set up our zone. We just sort of let North Melbourne run right in that third quarter. But yeah, from the kick in, it's not a huge gripe for me, but I can certainly see where you're coming from. Um, in terms of North Melbourne in general, they just lack polish. Like you can see what they're trying to do. Cunnington's a gun. I really like David Zuniak. Taron Thomas looks so good. Jai Simpkin was off yesterday, but he's had a good year. They're a contested pool base side, and if you can take that off them, they haven't got much chop. Um, I'm not convinced on Nick Larkey up forward, but he's also trying to take on two or three defenders every time he runs at the ball so the ball guy's not getting much of a run I don't think they're priority pick worthy and this is a gripe for me with North Melbourne going oh we might ask for a priority pick the reason they're as bad as they are they're as young as they are is because last year and the year before they pruned their list back more than I think they needed to and they did that to be really bad to get the draft capital all of that but if you choose as a club to prune back that far I think it's then a bit rich to turn around and ask for concessions because you're now a really bad team. Well, you, ha- you had the opportunity to keep some senior players around and you booted them. So that's not really the AFL's sort of responsibility to bail it out of that. My only final thought on it is well done to Dodora. I know he gets a lot of criticism on our board for some of his selections, but I think when you look at the cheap pickups we've gotten in, Waterman, Phillips, Wright, um, Nick Hind, who was unbelievable yesterday, um, coming off half back. He's done some really shrewd recruiting and picking up in um, some players that fill roles around our team that I didn't think were at all going to be any sort of players in our team. So well done to him. Any final North thoughts for you there, Pross? Yeah, look, the more I think about it, the less optimistic I am about North Melbourne. They give me serious um, late 2000s uh, Melbourne vibes. I think, um, mm. as Chris said, they've cut very deep. I don't think there's the senior core there to be able to support that. I mean, what have they got? Cunnington, Goldstein, and Zebel, and then just completely pretty much drops away. And, I mean, further to that as well, I think there's so many, so much instability around that club in general. 
what with, I guess, um, the coaching situation over the last couple of years. And I, I just don't really see the nucleus there for a strong premiership contending side in the foreseeable future. However, as as Grizz said, I think um, it's really left me feeling pretty positive about where we actually are. And, you know, it's taken a few years to be able to see it, but that sort of 14, 15, 16 draft cohort starting to come on. And um, I, I just don't see that for North, for instance. So, you know, I might be wrong, but um, I wouldn't be too optimistic about their um, short to middle-term aspirations. No, you're, you're, and I think you're both right. I think we are starting to see the the fruits of, of our of our drafts for recent years. I probably disagree with you slightly, Grizz, in saying that Dodora gets a lot of criticism. I, as somebody who's probably been fairly vocal in saying that that I think we need to move him on, I, I think. He, he gets a pretty good run on our board. But having said that, if I was looking the other way, I'd probably think he cops a lot of criticism, which probably means he's he's got his equal share of, of, of lovers and haters at the moment. But we, will, we will turn our... He is very polarising. But we'll move on from, from Adrian and also from North Melbourne, and we'll turn our attention to the West this week. So we do have the Eagles in Perth. It's going to be a tough game. I know they lost to GWS on the weekend, and I know that because I actually tipped them. And screwed me over in my tipping comp, but that's fine. <laughs> we do have them sat- Saturday night. Uh, it is 7.40 our time, so that's 5.40 WA time. The obvious wo- obvious worry for us versus the Eagles is going to obviously be the tall forwards in Oscar Allen, Jack Darling, Josh Kennedy. I, I've said it multiple times on our podcast this year that, that our key position defenders concern me because I'm not sure they're quite at that level that we know. I think we're I think we're one short down there. It will be a big test. Uh, I think it was Law who posted earlier. They're actually we're probably not giving up as much height as I was maybe thinking. The other problem we're going to have though is that they do have Bailey Williams as well, who will float mm. down, which does give another tall, and I'm not sure who goes to him. Nick Nat is obviously the other problem. I mean, him and Williams dominated against Mumford and Flynn on the weekend. Having said that, yeah, he was lost. So they can dominate the ruck taps, and your side can still win. And I think our midfield has the capability to rove to them. So I don't think we're going to be that short in the middle. But I, I do think... And, Pross, you've heard me say it a thousand times, so I'll, I'll swing to you first. I think our biggest problem is going to be their tall forwards. Absolutely. And, I mean, so far we've been pretty resolute when coming up against uh, quality opposition key forwards. I think it was us and Port Adelaide are the only teams not to have a team kick, uh, a player kick five goals against us. But I tell you what, I think our odds will be rivaling our VFL team's uh, odds to win on the weekend uh, when it comes to a player kicking five goals because it's going to be hard to contain. Kennedy and Darlene and Oscar Allen. So he's hoping that, that um, those odds pan out the exact same results as our VFL did. And, uh, you know, I lose that bet and we do manage to contain them, but um, it's going to be a tall, tall order for Francis, Verde, Ridley and um, the rest of our defensive unit. James Stewart, yeah. I forgot that he was a defender. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about you, Grizz? Do you, do you agree that the... the the defence is going to be our weak point, or do you think the Eagles will get to us in another another area of the ground? Yeah, it's interesting with the defence. I think we don't like in height. Like, Francis is one, it would be 6'4", and Stewart's almost 6'6". You know, six, six. But I think what the reason we have this um, perceived um, lack of key defenders is that other than maybe Stuart Laverde, who have been defenders for all five minutes, 
we don't have a lot of lockdown defenders. We have a lot of intercept rebounding types in Ridley and, and in Redmond, uh, as opposed to the sort of guys we know can lock down an opponent like we knew Ambrose or Hooker could. Um, it'll be interesting. West Coast are just so efficient going inside 50. Um, their, their score to inside 50 ratio is just astronomical. And they get it. It's because they're one of the better mark inside 50 teams in the competition. So a lot of that is sort of predicated on supply and particularly out of centre clearance with Nat Nui down to their midfielders. It'll be interesting to see how much pressure we can put on the ball. I think West Coast play sort of unlike any other, any of the other really good teams in the competition. They're not a, a forward half sort of team. They're a kick mark possession based game and they play up to stadium so well. And I think my biggest issue is that we're going to get home West Coast this week as opposed to away West Coast who seem to be two completely different teams. And so uh, I think yeah, the key forwards will have a massive say because their ability to mark inside 15 convert is West Coast's biggest strength. Guys like Kennedy and Darling and Oscar Allen and Bailey Williams, who's you know really lit the world up last week, can really dominate the air and they're just such accurate set shots. But where teams get West Coast and where GWS got West Coast last week was contested ball. They just did not allow West Coast to mark, kick, handball. They made it a ground ball game. They made it scrubby. They made it a tackle-based sort of win-your-own-footy type game. And West Coast just didn't have the cattle through the midfield with Shuey and Yo out to go with GWS. Now, we're not necessarily GWS. We haven't got Ward, Hopper, Taranto, those sorts of big-body guys who can just bully around the contest. But we do have a bunch of guys that are ball hunters and they're willing to tackle. So I think we've just got to be able to keep the ball sort of in dispute and on the ground because if we play the game to keep things off, we're going right to West Coast and they'll just slice us up. And the second thing we can't do is what we did in the third quarter against North Melbourne, which is just bomb it on the heads of our forwards and not honour the hit-up. West Coast are you know, exceptional at intercept marking going inside 50. If you put it to a predictable spot, if you're not smart about hitting up your forwards or even just grubbing it on the ground, West Coast will pick you off and just torch you going the other way. So... You've got to get it forward and you've got to keep it there and make it a ground game because if you keep it in the air, West Coast are you know, the better team in the competition at beating you that way. I worry about going over to Perth as a young team. Travelling is always harder when you've got a younger, more inexperienced group and West Coast obviously is far better at home than they are away, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I think you're right in saying that uh, if we bomb it long, West Coast will just dine out. McGovern didn't play on the weekend and I'm not sure he's actually back this week, so he may get lucky and not have to deal with, with Jeremy. Prost, I'll just, I'll just quickly also mention, because I think you may have brought it up previously, that the lack of a medium, it's small to medium defender is something of an area that you think we need to fix. Looking at this week, it's, it's an area that that's going to stand out quite a bit because they do have Jamie Cripps who has been in exceptional form and also obviously Liam Ryan so I suppose I've probably focused on, on the bigs here but those two smalls or medium def- forwards are just as good as, as, as any in the comp at the moment on form do you think that's where I mean who do you think goes to those two well I mean that's where we've got the little bit of a problem in that I mean Hines has been fantastic but uh, I think the thing that probably elevated um, Saad above Hind at his best was he had that capability to be a lockdown defender. I think from the players that we'll have at our disposal on the weekends, it pains me a little bit to suggest it, but you're probably going to be looking at, say, a 
maybe even a Jaden Laverde, potentially on a Liam Ryan, and then probably Mason Redmond you're going to have to require to be a little bit more on the defensive conscious side this week. But um, there really isn't a natural option just that screams out at you that will tackle that. And I, it really is an area, as you say, that um, for all that we lord um, West Coast attacking options um, in the height department, they really have a multiple tool set to be able to hurt you and we could be on the end of that this week. Grizz, just on us for, for the moment, there is talk that Draper and Stringer will be both available this week. <laughs> so I'm going to guess by your reaction, you're not a big fan of that. Would you play them this week, especially Draper first game back against you know, Nick Nat and, and Bailey Williams? Do you play them this week or do you hold off and then unleash them for Dreamtime at the G the following week against Richmond? Oh, I wouldn't be risking a hamstring and a syndesmosis on an away trip to Perth. Um, I just, the fly, I, I think with hamstrings, with Stringer, being an older player, you sort of trust him a bit more. But again, you're on a flight for three hours over there. Yeah, and you know it's an early morning because they fly back on the same day. I, I just I wouldn't risk them, particularly with Draper. I mean, he as far as I'm aware, he hasn't played any BFL football. So you're asking a guy who hasn't played footy in nine to ten weeks to come back with no game or match simulation or fitness under his belt to go overseas to one of the hardest tracks, and we can't underestimate how hard the track is at West Coast. The amount of ankle injuries and soft tissue injuries that happen because of the sand base under that floor. I think you're just asking for Sam Draper to do a soft tissue injury um, if he comes back that early. I, I would, I personally wouldn't bring Draper back until after the bye. I would be giving him, you know, I'd be giving him two weeks in the VFL being against Richmond and then our bye week as a club. And then you'd bring him in against Hawthorne. I wouldn't be bringing him against West Coast. I probably wouldn't be bringing him in against Richmond. I just think, the hard deck over in Perth, it's, he hasn't had any match simulation. I think we're just asking for trouble if we do that. But, yeah, and, and it's interesting with what you said, just touching on Liam Ryan. It's almost, I almost think Ridley is his best matchup because his ability to go in the air, and Ridley's quite agile on the ground, but you need Ridley to take your, your Oscar Allens or your um, your Bailey Williamses. Um, so it's just, you know, they kill you every way. They want West Coast. But, yeah, back to your original question, I wouldn't be taking Draper over to Perth in any situation. And I'll swing it over to you too, Pross, and I'll get you to give us a tip as well. Would you be risking these two this week or would you be holding off and, and waiting for the for the following week? Stringer, I'm not as concerned about. I mean, he's missed two games, I think it is now. Effectively, what, it'll be about three weeks since his injury to when he comes back. So I, I have no problem with it. But Draper, absolutely not. I mean, it, it seems like a pretty clear-cut place in VFL on reduced minutes, whether it's three quarters of a game and then come back in potentially for dream time at the G. I think that would actually turn out pretty well for him given Richmond don't exactly have a very well-renowned rough division as it is. For a tip, I tell you what, um, cautiously optimistic. I saw the early markets um, sports bet gamble responsibly and um, we were at 550, which I think is just well over the odds. I see that we've trimmed in now to about $4.20, which I think is starting to get to about true value. But West Coast haven't been flash hot recently, and I, there could be something brewing there, but equally, it could be a pretty ugly night for us. So I'll tell you what, I'll sit on my fence and I'll say West Coast by 18 points. And Grizz, I'll get you to give us a tip. Uh, I'm going West Coast, and I don't think it'll be awfully close. If we if if we can get away, if I think West Coast will win, but if we can get away with a less than six-goal loss... Just because how West, how good West Coast are at home, I think we get 
if we lose by less than six goals, it's a good day for us, which I think probably about West Coast by 35. Yeah, I'll look, I'll probably split the difference between the two of you and say West Coast. So what do you say, 18, 35, split the difference is about 26 points, 26, 27. That's splitting the difference. I'd love to tip Essendon. And I think somebody today did post on the board, we did beat them in 2018, but I just sadly don't see that happening again. But you never know. So so tune in Saturday night and we'll see how it unfolds. Now, we will jump to the last segment that I told you about. And, and this is a, a favourite segment of Prosser's. Um, he was involved in the only edition of Bonser's quiz that we've had so far. It went tremendously well and I'm devastated that the, the footage will never be released due to poor sound quality. Uh, <laughs> All question... people need to know is undefeated and undisputed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the questions were not difficult or obscure at all. Who handballed the ball to James Turd for his goal against West Coast is not a bizarre question. It was something that, that you, both you and Jade should be ashamed that it took you so long to get. But we will go it again. Now, uh, Grizz, you obviously didn't hear the footage last time. So the way this works is there are five questions. That, in theory, means there can't be a draw. Although last time... We only, I think at one stage we were on, on track for a draw because I asked a question that was so obscure nobody could answer. Your buzzer is your name. Don't throw the answer out. You have to say your name first. Uh, if you throw the answer out, I'll, I won't accept it. I did give, give one to Jade last time because I was taking pity on him. But let's start with the first question. Which player for Essendon has scored the most behinds this season? Grizz. Ross. No, we'll go with Grizz. Uh, it'd be Chook, wouldn't it? It is. It's Kyle Hooker. So pretend there's a ding because there's the, the first point for the for the night. This year we have had two players start the sub role twice. I'll give you a point if you can name one. Chris. Oh, I'm going to go Prost. I think Chris might have got it first, but I go Prost just because I want to keep it even. Tell you what, I must be on a pretty big delay then. Uh, David Zaharakis. No, David Zaharakis has only been the sub once according to my stats. Oh, wow. Oh, the no. Grizz. Yeah, Grizz. Matt Guelphie. Matt Guelphie is correct. I am now starting to think that maybe I'm looking at a player that's been subbed on. <laughs> so Zarak may very well have been it twice, <laughs> but he's only come on once. But sorry, Pros, um, I'm, I'm going with by my answer here. <laughs> um, now... Now, Prost, you should maybe have an advantage in this one because it was a question that I asked last time, although the answer will not be James Heard this time like it was last time. During Matthew Lloyd's time at the Eston Football Club, three players won the goal kicking. Heard, Lloyd, and who? The Grizz. Uh, Prost, how did you miss this? Yes, Grizz? Scott Lucas. Scott Lucas is correct. So that's three to you, I believe, which... Pros, do you want it, do you want the last two for for pride, or you just want to give it up? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it for pride, and then I'll challenge the results later. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, there is dispute on that last one. Okay, so John Coleman and Matthew Lloyd both both kicked a hundred goals for Essendon. Dave, the third player to do it, and he did in the seventies. Oh God. Um... Oh, this is a shame upon my house. I'll pass. I'm more afraid of saying a, just a horrible answer than saying the, like the wrong answer. Mm. Grizz, do you want to have a crack? Oh, I'm trying to think back to this. Oh, I, I wasn't born in the 70s. My best bet would be Gary Dempsey, but I think he may have won a Brownlow as opposed to be a goal kicker. Um, I think 
I think you might be right. It's not Gary Dempsey. Pros, I'll give you. I'll give you another. Do you want to just take a stab in the dark? Yeah. Okay. Um. Oh, 1970s. Uh, it's not Jeff Blyfen, is it? It is Jeff Blyfen. Oh. 107 <laughs> goals in the 1972. Are you on Wikipedia right now? <laughs> No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm challenging that result. Yeah, geez. <laughs> it did take a long time. All right. So this is the last one. Although if Pross gets it, I may throw in a special question because I think he might have got the Zaharakas one right. James Heard wore five for every season, every season but one, 1992. What was his original number? Degrees. Degrees? 49. 49. Sorry, Prost, you don't get another crack. He wore 49 for four games in 1992. No, his and boy has it. His boy does have it. And I believe somebody can correct me if I'm wrong here, but he took it off TD at the end of 92. But that's that would be right. I think so. Yeah. I think TD's last year was the year before the baby bombers. So I think that's 92. Yeah, there is there is actually footage getting around of, of Heard and TD playing in the 92 reserves grand final because Tim Watson actually interviews Terry Danaher on the ground after the game, um, <laughs> which is slightly ironic considering what Tim Watson was doing a full 12 months later. But, Pross, you are no longer undefeated, and since nobody else has actually heard you win the first time round, you, your official record is 0-1 at the moment. Hey, this is a bullshit competition that you run, and I hope to see this rectified very, very soon. The only one you got were right. You sat on Wikipedia for uh, uh, just reportedly. There's, that's not confirmed, obviously. But ladies and gentlemen, that will do us this evening. So thank you both very much for joining me. I, I hope it. Uh, hope your first time was a memorable experience, Chris. No worries. Thank you for having me. And Pross, I have no doubt I'll have to get you on again um, and, and and get Jade to challenge you with the quiz. The quiz, so you have somebody a little bit easier. Um, to take down. Tell you what, we'll get a pub session of the uh, podcast going one day and um, we'll do it live in person. Well, if we ever do a pub session, I can guarantee that Doss will join us because he does very much enjoy going to the pub and having a cheeky beer or two. So that may be the only way we get Doss onto one these days. But as always, if anybody wants to jump on, feel free. We are always welcome to people to come and join and, and have a crack and have a chat. It's not very... Uh, it's not very complicated and it's certainly very casual and relaxed, but thank you once again to everybody for listening.